Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 3, The Long Night. Well, that happened. <laughs> yeah, part of me thinks I need to watch it again. I need to let that part soak in of, of the first, the second, and maybe watch it again and let that soak in before I can really have coherent thoughts. It pains me with all my heart because it was, on the one hand, the most amazing episode we've ever had, but on the other hand, my overall review is negative. And I really, really wish that wasn't the case. And I hope people won't turn this off upon hearing that. Because when I listen to Game of Thrones reviews and they get negative, I'm like, ah, you know, like even when it deserves some negativity, I have initial kind of reaction to it. And I hope that's not the case here because it was a truly amazing episode. And I think we will talk about a lot of the good things and the bad things. So give us a fair herring. (laughs) Yeah, and, and, you know, like, let's just go back to what I said in, in episode one of this season of, like, Game of Thrones is of a caliber of its own. It's it's one of the best shows that has ever been made. You just expect the best when it comes to, to this show. And so when, when it doesn't deliver, it can be disappointing while still being amazing. Well, it delivered the things it was supposed to deliver as far as action and suspense and things like that. Miguel... Spotchnik, <laughs> whatever his last name is, that dude. The guy who directs it. He needs to be directing some movies. He did Hard Home and. Which was really amazing. Um, the Battle of the Bastards. Which to me is still one of the best yeah. episodes ever. And that, the one, that, that was yeah. so amazing to me. And the one following the Battle of the Bastards where it seriously blows everything up. What it was is amazing. And I feel like I got like his flair. Right. I could tell that he was behind this. And, and, and I think. In many ways, he did a good job. Yeah. Yeah, and the the parts that I have to criticize, I think, have nothing to do with the director, almost. I agree. Maybe I, one I or agree. two things, but yeah. for the most part. No, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, so, I mean, first of all, the way they allowed the tension to build with the first 10 minutes or so, with no wording, long scenes. Like long shots, camera long shots. Long shots, yeah. yeah. That was really good. Yeah. Incredible. That was, I mean, I, when I compete in jiu-jitsu tournaments, I have this like um, <laughs> kind of dull, anxious feeling all day of the tournament and the day before. And I kind of had that today. Oh, I was sitting man. around like with this feeling like something's going to happen today. Yours is uh, dull. So. Mine's like a sharp stabbing knife. <laughs> I kept being like, man, I'm anxious. You're like, what's wrong? And I'm like, this is just so intense. Well, I mean, like at lunchtime, I was feeling it like <laughs> like something in the back of my mind. But no, no it's, I... it started off just amazing with the direction. Yeah, I, I, one of the things I, I just took a note of is great intro. It, yeah. it was phenomenal just in terms of the pacing and, and the scenes and the music. It, it really set the mood. I got anxious. And I kept thinking, why am I so anxious watching this? Like, I know people are going to die. It's the end of the series. I'm ready for it. And yet I felt like I was almost watching a horror movie. The music was spot on, and um, I don't know how to say the guy's name. What's the music guy's name? I, I'll, I'll say Ramen Dijuani or something. <laughs> that dude's amazing. He, this music so was good. spot on tonight. We saw him in concert doing the Game of Thrones music, and that was he, he's done a great, all eight seasons, just amazing. Tonight's music, I don't know if you caught it, it was very similar to Why So Serious, the Joker's theme yeah. song by Hans Zimmer. Very, very similar to that, which I don't mind because that's a fantastic song. Well, it keeps you on edge. It, it keeps yeah. you yeah. like I like that it didn't do like the action soundtracks that you can often get. Right. Dun, 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 dun. You know, like this was more like like it reminds me of like 
I don't even know if this was like the music from it, but like the thing with Kurt Russell. Uh, yeah. Well, but it's maybe it, it has that long that eerie sound. Yeah, it's yeah. like this eerie sound. Like it's just the music that plays in my head when I think about the yeah, thing. That's that's a good association. That I'm sure that the and maybe it's the winner. No, the guy would be proud to hear that. I'm sure. <laughs> it's John Carpenter. Uh, anyways. <laughs> But yes, it, it was a great way to start out. Uh, again, some of these really long shots. I mean, we start off with Sam, but if you watch it, it takes us to a couple other characters. And yeah. from what I could tell, it was all one shot. And so that is something that you and I always truly appreciate. And yeah. So Melisandre shows up, which we knew she would in some capacity. I didn't expect her yeah. to be the she first. She wasn't the little girl in the crib. Yeah, no. <laughs> I didn't expect her to be the first person. I thought she was going to be the deus ex machina that shows up at the end to kind of save the day in some fashion. At first, I was like, what are they going to do with her? What How is this going to be? I liked what happened with her. It just... Oh, God. There's so many points I can bring this up, but I'll, I'll bring this up for now. It leaves so many questions unanswered about what is this red god? The Lord of Light. I what agree. is this Lord of Light? Are we supposed to forget about that now? Is that just going to be written out of the story? Because we see that she has power. Like, we've already known that, right? But, like, mm-hmm. she has legit power. Yeah. She helps them out. Twi- well, it didn't really help. that They use that to give us a false sense of hope when the Dothraki um, were... Are we talking about that now, the Dothraki? Well, she gets, she lights their swords on fire, and then... Which was cool. I mean, genocide like, happens five yeah, minutes later. So, okay, hang on. So, in terms <laughs> of, like... We watched Inside the Episode with the show creators, and, and they said that they wanted to give us, like, this the audience like a sense of like things are going to go in their favor like like so it's kind of like a back and like, forth a little sense of hope a false sense of hope and, yeah. and part of me it's like i i'm already thinking like this is within the first uh, 10 maybe 15 minutes uh, of the show and i'm like of course this isn't gonna work we've got an hour and a half episode yeah like i have zero hope at this point and so visually it was breathtakingly beautiful. I, I yeah. loved all their swords going up. I kept thinking how tired all their arms would get because they had to keep holding <laughs> it up or they'd set themselves and their horses on fire. And and I just kept thinking, who decided this? I am not well-versed in warfare. I will be the first to tell anybody. But this was dumb. Yeah. And running headlong into the dark. Let's annihilate one of Danny's great armies. Yeah. Let's annihilate the best warriors of almost like like the entire Dothraki people. This was like yeah, that's probably it. Genocide, yeah, that's, yeah, and 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 it just was so so poorly planned. And I'm just shocked because we have a lot of like battle hardy people here who know better. I get that it was to draw the Night King out and make things last as long as they could until they have their opportunity. This is so not it in my opinion. So that that's where this episode started to like not lose me. That's not the right way because I was there until the end. There's so many parts I liked. There's just some parts where I'm like, well that's just dumb. I don't understand this. Like th- this show has a capacity of writing such amazing scripts and doing a great job. You know, like look at how they did the Battle of Blackwater. Look at how they did the Red Wedding. Look at how they did Battle of the Bastards. And then, wait, what? This is what's supposed to be one of the best episodes, of the, like the culmination of the series, and yet... Well, so, to be fair, when I watched the Battle of Blackwater and the Battle of Bastards, I did always have the thought, like, is it really better to be outside the castle than inside? Which, I, I can't comment enough on medieval warfare, right? Because in the Battle of Bastards, the same thing happened. They fight outside, and then the people start to break in. And the Battle of the Bastards, the whole fight took place outside. Um, but... It, basically, everybody outside the castle was sacrificed for 
they should have just all been inside. Like we know that Stannis held off the Tyrells for a year by yeah. being holed up in the castle. Yeah. It just seems like being in the castle is the best strategy. Um, I think they had too many people, so it was impossible to have them all in there yeah. in the first place. Like, and I think it was the last episode where we see a bunch of tents of these armies. Like, right. there, there's no way that the castle can house, you know, fifteen to thirty thousand. I don't know how many people they have there, but all the the people. So, like, that was never an option. But there could have been way more people in there. But yeah. so, like, you know, I guess just to kind of stick with like how we're going here, like that Dothraki horde going in there, and they're supposed to be some of the best warriors, and just. You know, like, I remember when they were going out there and I just commented out loud of, like, oh, all the lights are going to go out. And, like, yeah. visually, like, in the storytelling way, I appreciate no, it was that. Be- yeah, it was, like I said, it was beautiful. It was, it got the point across, which is what it was trying to do, like. But the expense of an entire people. Right. And um, I, I did really like a couple scenes there is that they run in and then we don't really see what it was. I guess yeah. a giant came out. We don't exactly know. Yeah. The flames start going out. And then when Jorah ran back. I was like, fuck, he better not be a zombie. Like, is Jorah dead? Like, that would have ruined my yeah, night. Yeah, I didn't think he was at all. <laughs> like, but they just kind of showed him in slow motion. His face was all weird. And no, I was his, like, his face was like, holy fuck, yeah. we are fucked. And then we, we didn't like, see Ghost after that, so... Uh, we, yeah. I, he'll, he'll be back next episode. I, I yeah. think so, too. That a few Dothraki came back, not many, a dozen yeah. or whatever, I thought was more unsettling than none coming back. Because these are, you know... These, I agree. They, they came back, they were like, fuck! Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the few that were smart enough to leave. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, it was, yeah, aside from some logical flaws, that was a really great scene. Well, and, and honestly, like, I can just say right here, the criticisms that will come for me as we continue to talk, there'll be a lot of things I love. There'll be a, a couple of things that I'm going to criticize. And almost everything that I'm criticizing is going to be along this line. It was illogical. Oh, I got uh, some pretty big criticisms. But, <laughs> well, that's but, at least yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, where, I'm, where it's like, this just seems a bit nonsensical yeah. to me. So, um, Well, okay. So the first main character to be killed is Ed. Dollar said, yeah. Which I guess to is save, not... Saving Sam. Yeah. Which I guess is not really a surprise. It's... um. He makes perfect sense to be the first to go, and I didn't think that Tormund Giantsbane would go because he is like the avatar of the wildlings. He's the person we're assuming to see the wildlings, and Ed is kind of the Night's Watch, and we don't need the Night's Watch anymore, so it kind of makes sense. Yeah, he's that, kind of a superfluous character yeah. in some ways, and, and like we know we've got like Game of Thrones is going to have to like kill a bunch of people we love. We know that most of them are, or many of them are going to die here in this last season, and so I think they were easing us in. Yeah. And easing us in to Jorah's the big one, but do we care about anybody else more than Ed? So we'll get to that later. We'll go by the deaths one by one in chronological order. But I mean, like Dollar has said, he's he's the last of the Night's Watch guys. Yeah, And I just feel bad that he was not burnt before he was turned, which is yeah. what he wanted. And we just get a quick scene in the crypts. Where Tyrion kind of wants to get out there. He feels worthless. And it's got to be a very emasculating position to be in. I thought maybe that was going to go somewhere. Like maybe he would actually contribute to the battle. But no, that didn't go anywhere. Which is fair. I mean, I it, it sucks that it's the case. But he really didn't have much to offer. Well, he, he gets schooled again. He gets schooled again of like, look. Like, yeah, you've had your moments. 
but you're not going to compare to people like Grey Worm and Jorah, Jon Snow. Like, yeah, it's just not just his forte. The Hound. Like, you're just, you're not. Like, but his like, argument was that he wasn't at the Battle of Bastards either, but it, he was as well. So Well, what's funny, though, is, is, is he's horribly arrogant sometimes. And this is another example where, like, if I were out there, I would see what no one else has seen. And it's like, you're right, you might. But it's not like everyone out there is a complete imbecile either. Although... We may end up saying that as we continue on with some of these battle plans. But for the most part, it's like, okay, yeah. Well, it's just, yeah, it just didn't go anywhere, which is, they had they had to remind us that they were there. And I I think it's a way to show that it's really hard for some people who aren't like these, like warriors, you know, like Arya and Sansa was such a great contrast of that. It's hard to be someone who, it's hard to defend yourself in a moment where that's so necessary. Yeah. One of the things that I took note of that I was surprised that they didn't take it this way. I was thinking this is not the first time Sansa's in this position where she's holed up in a small area with a bunch of women and children and older people during a battle. This is the Battle of Blackwater where she's very young and naive and Cersei is just atrocious. And Sansa knows more than anything about how important it is to be a leader. And during the Battle of Blackwater, after Cersei um, just deserts everybody, she's like, let's say a prayer, let's sing a hymn. And I kept waiting for us to see this regal Sansa who has learned. She hasn't just learned about how to play the Game of Thrones. She's learned how to be a queen. And she utterly failed here. Yeah, there's none of that. And it didn't feel like, like I didn't miss it. I was also waiting for it. Like, okay... Because there's a lot of parallels between this and the Battle of Blackwater. It was very similar. And I think the proper way to think of this episode and last episode is as one extended episode. One, like, two and a half hour episode. Yeah, I agree. Um, So Blackwater, the first half was, like, kind of build up. And then the action happened. And if we think of these two connected, it's the same way. But, yeah, no, Sansa... um, Like, they could have had that in there. And that would have been great. Yeah, she she wasn't... Yeah, she was just there. Just... Well, and she comes in there and she she starts off on on the you know on the castle and comes in there and so clearly when she comes in that's going to be a sign to the people that you know shit's getting bad yeah. and there's a moment for her to be like let's come together remember we are the north something right and then the silly scene Arya gives her the dagger she's like take this it reminded me of the Battle of Blackwater when like Shay is going to go outside and Sansa's like don't go and she's like no one's going to hurt me and she's got this little dagger it's like come on. Like, that's cool and all, you know, go, but come on. It's uh. Well, and, and Sansa's not that puny and pathetic. How do you mean? Like, that she ran away from the... The only place she could be is a crypt, saying it's Tyrion. No, I mean, like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, oh. it's a fucking knife. Right, yeah, sticking with the pointy end, right. They just wanted to say that line. They just wanted to put that in there. Yes, but it was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it, it made her look like she was this helpless person again. Yeah. Which at this point in the series, you do not want to undermine that momentum and characterization that you've established so much with her. Yeah. I think that she would go down fighting. And and they did not really show that here. I mean, they kind of did at the, like the end of those crypt scenes. Oh. Well, right, but, but they only showed Tyrion after. Yeah, we'll get to that later. But yeah. yeah. This was another moment for Sansa to shine, and she didn't. Yeah. I will say, I didn't expect Lyanna and Jorah to die. So Lyanna was the second to go. Yeah. So I don't know what's left of the Mormont family, if anything. But what Um, I will say is, the show has gone out of its way to, to reveal to us viewers that House Mormont is incredibly small when they decide to join 
John and Sansa um, before the Battle of the Bastards. They're they're like, we will be with you. And they're like, how many men? They're like 56 or something like that. They're incredibly small house. And yet they played some of the biggest roles in this battle. They, I give a thumbs up to the House Mormont. Yeah, they punch above their weight. I think that's the saying. Like, <laughs> sure. Yeah, they, they're way out of proportion as far as what they bring to the table. From Gior, who died in season yeah. three, I think, to Jorah and Lyanna. And Lyanna uh, killed a giant. That's cool, I guess. Um, and that's the show, I think. I think that's the show giving fans a character we've come to love. Yeah. They've written this part for her. It was another way to kill someone off without killing one of our favorite characters here at the end. No, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was total fan appreciation, but it was fine. Except we only saw one giant, which I guess CGI can only afford so much, but, you know. But, I mean, so one of the things that they said, the creators inside the episode, is that, you know, a battle scene can get tiring. Yeah. So if they showed us, they, so they actually showed us two giants, and maybe it's the same one, but I, I have a feeling it's it's more than one. Yeah. Um, you don't want to see the same thing over and over again. So I'm glad they didn't give us more giants because it would have just been redundant. Well, yeah, but they could have had cool scenes. Um, <laughs> given what we got, yeah. I'll just say it here now with with Lady Mormont. Uh, one, I wrote down that she goes out with a roar, so Bear Island. Yeah. Roar. But this just made me think so much of the Battle of Hogwarts. Um, and so much, there's so many parallels for me with it in that way. But similar to at least the Battle of Hogwarts is your absolute favorite people do not die, but a lot of your favorite secondary and tertiary characters do. Yes. So that's like the Lupin and um, the Tonks and stuff. That w- that's what Jorah and Lady Mormont and Dolores yeah. are here. A thought that I had here is after Theon came and then Ramsay and just the destruction to Winterfell, they have spent so much time rebuilding Winterfell and then these zombies come in and (laughs) I'm like, oh man, they just rehab this whole place and it is just going, going down fast here with all those zombies. So another criticism I have here is Bran was utterly useless and I, I this was a note i wrote early in the episode of like brand is not super informative for being the guy who knows almost fucking everything right he goes into those ravens but nothing came of it so what he didn't warn anybody he didn't he, he to anybody for a really long time in ravens and, and like maybe this was editing that it seemed like already so much had happened in the other areas that he was still warging up until the night king being there and so it's like what are you doing there's nothing that you're seeing that you can offer information to someone else other than just for you to like, like, it's like he's trying to be a historian yeah. just to know what happened and to see it or something. And I just, he wasn't informative to any of the characters. He didn't offer any insights. He, he literally put himself more at risk by, by warging. And like, I just didn't understand it. And maybe they'll explain it next episode or something. I thought he was going to warg into a dragon or something epic. I mm-hmm. thought he was going to do something. Yeah. But nope, he didn't do anything. No. <laughs> and he, he, he's supposed to be, Bigger than what he was. So I'm, I'm, this is not to be fair. Does he even really have a stake in the battle except as a chronologer of history? Yeah, but they had some brand moments with him here where either he realizes that he just needs to play a part because it will make other people feel better. All the stuff he says to Theon is Bran, not the Three-Eyed Raven. Right. Yeah. So Bran is still there. So to me, is that a, like a lack of consistency? 
Because he doesn't act like Bran with anybody else that you really want him to, like his his fellow Starks and stuff. But, you know, here, like, telling Theon that he's home, which I get what he's saying. He's like, you know, that brought you here, but the the home comment is Bran. Right. He he felt the need to validate Theon. And And, then he does right before Theon does. And that's for us, just for us fans, whatever, for Theon's arc. But Yeah. But, oh, God. He just felt so... Now that the Night King is dead, which we'll talk about later, do we even care about Bran? Who cares? Like, whatever. He's just some weirdo. What? Okay. The Three-Eyed Raven, this thousand-year war with the White Walkers. Well, who cares? Now we got to deal with Cersei. Anyways, so yeah. we'll talk about that later. Well, and it's funny because, like, I, I knew for sure that Jon would make it because there was all the setup of, like, Sam, we have to tell him now. He needs to know. Yeah, of course. And yeah. if he didn't need to know... So urgently, then like, it just dies here. It wouldn't matter. And so, like, I think that's the role that Bran's going to play is, is that he's going to help people know things that they wouldn't otherwise know. Yeah. But so what happens, though, right before Lady Mormont gets taken out is, so first we have the Dothraki annihilated, but oh, let's annihilate the Unsullied now, too, while we're at it. But I like the way the Unsullied went out because that... That is their role. They were they were they were letting people escape. They were they were the only thing I didn't like is that Grey Worm did not die. That, well, so we we don't know for sure unless I missed. No, it. it showed him fighting at the end when John was doing the tour of everybody right, fighting. Right, but they like they did show us survivors after the Night King was killed. So we know that Jamie and Pod and Brienne and Davos and like all them, we saw them. They did not show us Tormund or Grey Worm to my knowledge. And so we've seen this once. I could have missed it, whatever. But they could pull one on us where we find them dead. No, that's 100% not happening. (laughs) I'm just saying we don't know (laughs) for sure. They didn't show us after the Night King. I thought the Unsullied... I appreciate with what you're saying. Yeah. Like I agree with you. My only point is again, like Danny has just lost all her armies yeah. here. But I, I already from like what we're gonna see from the next episode. Apparently, a lot of the Unsullied survived. Right, but the Dothraki have been wiped off the board, which is weird. And then most of the Unsullied are wiped out. But both both the Dothraki and the Unsullied went out in the way Dothraki and Unsullied should go out. Correct. For, for whatever that's worth. Correct. Um, well, and, and one thing that I really loved is, like, this is probably one of the, the scariest battles that anybody alive could ever face. And the Unsullied really approached it. The show showed other characters and other Northmen and, and women, like, running away and being scared, which I don't blame them. And yet, these Unsullied held their ground. Yeah. And so it really speaks, like, Master Krasnys would be proud. And one of the, the, the great cinematography and shots that I loved was as people retreated, they closed in after the final people who were retreating went in and they still faced that way. And then they closed in any gaps. Like they they were just, it was great visual storytelling with that. And and they're not just these mindless robots though. And I think the show has gone out of its way to show us that with uh, Grey Worm. Yeah. That he's a person and he cares. And you you have to kind of extend that to a lot of these other Unsullied too. So when the Unsullied... And the Dothraki and everybody else are being overrun, which the, the filming was great, how the dead are piling on each other. And it was, well, it was so obvious that they're unstoppable. But the, my main criticism is that about halfway through the episode, I realized the Night's King is dying. There's no other way that this can end because they cannot stop these yeah. things. Yeah. And, and it bothered me that it was so obvious that that was the case. And but technically, I, hasn't that been super obvious from the beginning? Once did, we realize, like, hard home of what he Well, had. yes, that, that the Night King would have to be stopped for the dead to be stopped was obvious. But that he was going to die tonight, 
there's a lot of reasons I don't like that, but the main one is just halfway through, all the suspense was taken out for me, except for which characters do we like are going to die. But I knew he was going to die tonight, and that was the end of the Whites about halfway through, yeah. which was an unfortunate thing to realize. It took out almost all the suspense for me. How else should it have gone? They should have kicked their ass and the survivors left Winterfell. Yeah, I just... Eight and a half seasons for that. I don't care about Cersei. I don't care anything else anymore. Well, I, I mean, I think part of maybe where the show is going with this is like, yes, this is the real war. They could have just ended it here. But what they're trying to show is as long as there's still civilization, the Game of Thrones is going to be played. And that's what we get to see. We get to see the Game of Thrones. Yeah. And so this was always, most of the show has not been the White Walkers and, and the Whites. We've had elements of it throughout as an, an additional storyline, but predominantly the show has been this Game of Thrones. I thought the whole point of the Game of Thrones is that it's so petty, it doesn't matter. It still is. When there's this existential threat coming. Because they're going to go right back to it now that this is over. Well, I know. So it just shows... But what do you want? Like a big kumbaya? Like we have just... Well, no, but what was the point of having the White Walkers at all? Why didn't they just... Because the White Walkers to me were the least interesting part of the story. I prefer the intrigue and stuff. So they should have just had Baratheon versus Lannister for eight seasons. You know, it, the White Walkers are just there for nothing. But I think it brought a lot of people together who would never have come together under different yeah, circumstances. Yeah, so what? They could, have, they could have written that in 10 million ways. They could have right, written, but they did it this way. And it was pointless and stupid. I, I, I disagree with you on this one. I had a good idea going into this episode without even knowing, like, before anything happened, that this was probably going to resolve today. Yeah. We've got six episodes. This one, next one, and the next one, I believe, are are all an hour and a half long. Like, I was like, yeah, this is going to end, and then we're going to get the battle down there, and then we're going to get the resolution of everything after the battle and Cersei is defeated and all of that. So I would have just rather have had more intrigue between houses. Just what was the point? I don't know. Part of me is like, maybe sleep on it. Yeah. <laughs> See what you think. All right. So, yeah. so Beric, it had to happen at some point. This is the end. Beric was killed. I thought he was going to be killed against the Night King. But no, apparently he was brought back seven times to save Arya. Which, to kill the Night King. So one of the comments I made last episode is he better have a, his death. We were talking about that he's going to die this episode. And his death met, better have like good meaning in terms of with the Night King. And it did. Ugh. I, one thing I will comment just right before the this story is, would be exactly the same if Beric had never died. It, it, exactly, and John, John died. Who cares for what? There's nothing to do with like it would have been exactly the same. They could have had Alistair Thorne and those guys just beat him up, and the story would be exactly the same. But then John cannot be relieved of his vow of the Night's Watch. But the Knights, the Whites are dead. The White Walkers are dead now. Yeah, but but he <laughs> left the Night's Watch long before then. It's until you die. It was the way to release him from his Well, vows. Sam is no longer a man of the Night's Watch, and he didn't die. It doesn't matter. Well, he was a man of the Night's Watch. He was. He was training right. to be a man. He was up until they are no longer needed. Well, Beric and John, to me, dying served no purpose. I, I think Beric is, again, another one of those secondary characters that has to go that they show you the death because so many of them were being slaughtered. So many. No, he had to die in this episode, but I mean, he didn't need to die the seven times before. Who cares? Oh. They could have, he could have just lost a finger or got his toe kicked in. I thought I thought the Night's King would try to bring him back and it would backfire. Something, something interesting that had to do with him dying. Some weird thing. But no, he just saved Arya, which the Hound saved her too. 
He didn't need to die. The hound picked her up, which I did like that scene. He yeah. carried her the same way he carried Joffrey in season two or three or whatever. The hound is in his fear mode, his PTSD mode, and Bear keeps trying to reach him, and the only way he can is by saying, pointing out Arya. And the moment that the hound sees Arya, it's like this paternalistic side kicks in, and right. it brings us back to their beautiful relationship that that they form. That's just so straightforward and yet complicated, and and it, it's what brings him out and gets him back to where he needs to be. But Beric helps get him there. It wasn't just to save Arya. Like I get what you're saying. Maybe it's part of this intrigue of like the Lord of Light or the red god of kind of just saying like i bet you the red god is not mentioned again in this series that'll be annoying i'll bet you a dollar (laughs) um i i hope we get like i'm okay not knowing more about the knight's king and things like that i get that the children of forest created him to 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 battle the first men and then it, it it ended up bringing them together because he got out of control i feel like we know enough with that in some ways where like i like some of the intrigue I'm okay not knowing. But if I don't find out more about the Lord of Light and pieces of this, maybe it's just a way to show that it's just not all, like, like the Night's King is just such pure evil, but maybe that there's other stuff on there. But we've talked about it before. Like, the Lord of Light does not seem like the most benevolent dude either. No, but there's obviously real power there. And, oh, all these fan theories about the Night's King real motivation and who he really was and what is it. Oh, nothing. Doesn't mean shit. Well, here's the thing. We still have... How many? We still have four episodes where... No, three. Oh, yeah, three. Yeah, so three. we have three episodes. So maybe they will still explain things that we could be complaining about tonight. And so I'm still kind of holding out a little hope that, like, maybe we'll we'll learn yeah. a little bit more about this in the aftermath. After explain the it after the fact when we don't care anymore. Yeah, I still care. <laughs> I, they have me until the series ends. Yeah. No, to be fair. So maybe, I'm not going to jump the yeah. gun on certain judgments with that. And, and again, part of me is like, sleep on it. Let's see. But maybe they'll explain some things. If they don't, this is me saying right now, that'll piss me off. That, that'll that be one of the ways to like end the show on a horrible note. To be like, yeah, boop, 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 boop. No. Here's a nice little bow. It's, Everything ends nicely. I wish I was um, uh, as optimistic as you. I, the I mean, I, I still... So it sounds like you didn't like Beric. Beric is a great character. I liked everything about it. Even the way he died was fine. Except for the fact he didn't need to die seven times. It added nothing to the story. It's, it, yeah, but you could say that about a bunch of things. Well, I can here. say that about John, <laughs> which I still stand by. I, I and, but it, again, something might change. But to uh, me, it doesn't bother me the way that it is you. I think it was just a way to illustrate that Beric had an important role to fill and he couldn't die until that happened. And then he died when he did. And so, like, was it necessary for Lady Melisandre to have said that out loud? I felt like it was pretty obvious. But to say what? He fulfilled his role. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Just yeah. telling us in case we didn't get it right. Yeah. Once she said that, that's where I think I said aloud to you, oh, Arya's going to kill the Night's King. Well, and then Melisandre told us that she was going to kill the Night's King. But that's just when I knew, like, for sure. Oh, yeah, no. It was... That that's how that was going to go. Yeah. That it wasn't going to be John and stuff, and then, you know, then the blue-eyed thing. Like, that's part of my criticism, at least with this part here, is, like, we they didn't need to narrate that so much. That, that show me, don't tell me kind right. of thing. Um, no, yeah, like I said, all the suspense for me was gone at that point, except for is somebody else that I like going to die? That was the only suspense left. But as far as how it was going to end, all gone. So really quick, just right before the scene when Beric dies, we see Arya in the, the library, if you will. She looked a little too scared for me. I get that right. she... She just she, took on 30 of them and now she's scared of a few. Well, and it's Arya. Yeah. She went through a whole bunch of shit to get to where we are 
I get that it's a bit disconcerting to see the, the army of whites that she did, and but they, they made her look a little too scared for me. I think there's a, a difference between regaining your composure that's not what I saw here. So that annoyed me a little bit, especially since it, it was almost like they were trying to make you look left while they went right with her character here to kill the, the Night's King. Was. No, I didn't like the, ch- the change in momentum. It's like, even in the after show credits, they said, oh, we wanted to change the momentum, and which I get, but it was like, to me, it just dulled everything. Well, it, it doesn't do her character justice. And maybe this is just the feminist in me where it's like, we see all these men like Jon Snow, who's just... He's about to take on Viserion and be like, all right. And we don't see him have to do that. Sound. Yes, but he's got PTSD, man. Like, it's like Theon. Like, that's not the same. And here's Arya, who's this total badass woman and one of the best, baddest women we have in this show, other than Brienne. And she starts literally running around like a scared little girl. And then all of a sudden, though, she's got it all going on and kills this Badass motherfucker. Like, come on. That could have been shot a little bit differently. It was probably what she was told to do. So, like, my criticism is the writing, probably. um, No, everything wrong with this episode was the writing, not the directing or the acting. I guess I liked that the Night King got hit with dragon fire. Yeah, I I love that. Well, what I liked is that he smiled. He he was like, okay, I'll humor you. Right. But, okay. (laughs) <laughs> He's got a sense of humor, which I guess is cool. So he has emotions, but I think what he a, likes. What, what, I, I think he likes messing with people, and I think he thinks Danny thinks she's got it all coming together here, and he just wants to take a moment to be like, nope. Yeah, so I would have liked that if it led to something else, but it didn't. So it made her vulnerable, but then nothing happened. Hiding in the crypts when you're fighting someone who can raise the dead. Obviously really stupid. But nobody armed the people inside. This was one of the moments where I was like, do they think we're stupid as an audience? You're going to send a bunch of defenseless people in a closed off room and you're not going to give anybody but Sansa at the last moment? Well, I think at, the, at that point, the idea is that if they got into the crypts, those people are dead, whether they're armed or not. But how would you like to go down? With your bare hands or with some steel in your hand? Yeah. Well, right. And then not only that, but... Just my point is hiding where there's dead bodies against someone yeah. who can raise the dead is pretty dumb. But I w- one scene I did really like here is when Drogon gets covered with the dead and made me think of a dog desperately trying to shake off the fleas, you know. Yeah. And he just had to get the hell out of there. And Danny yeah. fell off and he was like, I'm fucking out. And then that was all a scene to give Jorah the death he deserved, I thought. Before we go to, to Jorah's death here... Yeah. One of the scenes I I really liked, and again, I said sometimes this felt like watching a horror movie for me. I don't watch a whole lot of them. I I don't have a problem with Game of Thrones, but I'm not good with the horror genre. I I just, I can't do it. But there's this scene as as Jon is trying to make his way to Bran. We see him uh, kind of on his his journey here. And it reminds, I told you, I was like, it reminds me of like a haunted house where you go through each room and there's like each room of horror and devastation that you see that's a little bit different. And we see him with Sam who looks like he's about to die. And and you can see Jon makes a decision like, I don't have time for you. I have to go. Yeah, I did really like that. Sam sees, Jon sees Sam dying and he doesn't try to save him. Yeah. Yeah, because there's bigger fish to fry. Yeah. Yeah. And we know what they mean to each other but then so after he sees Sam then he sees Grey Worm and then he sees Brienne and it's just kind of like these each this each separate room of horror and I, yeah. I like that that scene and then Theon so Theon dies he's our fourth yeah. fourth main character to die here after so he, he, yeah. he dies saving Bran 
Which, I mean, they brought his story full circle. He dies at home. He dies saving a boy that he, like, really hurt. No, it was it was a, yeah, poetic whatever. And he dies in a, in a very honorable way. The Ironborn are apparently the best archers that ever existed. <laughs> you know, I thought of that, though. At first, I was coming kind of coming in, like, cynical. But then I was like, if you think about it, their ship warfare, they would have to be good. It was fine. It worked for what it was, but... You know, like, their ship people, in order to conquer other ships and stuff, like, yeah, they would have to be good with yeah. arrows. So I actually believe that. So he, he goes on a suicide charge, not unsimilar to the way Jamie went after Danny last season. Yeah, and... he di- he went out in a way, you know, like, they showed us a couple times when his PTSD kicked in about how he kind of just freezes. And in here, he, 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 I think, accepted his death. And instead of fighting it, he kind of went into it with this... Almost like calm acceptance of like, I'm going to go in. Yeah, he got to redeem himself and he was validated by Bran. And he, uh, yeah, it was a good way to go. If only he'd have just stood there for two more minutes, he probably would have been fine. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but I think there's a difference between feeling active and and a more passive role. And this was him being active, like him deciding. And and I get that. So I I don't don't have any complaints about that. Arya is apparently Azora High. Not that the show cares who that is or that it means anything, but I'd have zero problem with Arya killing the Night King. That's fine. That's exciting. Whatever. But ugh, I don't know. What do you mean? Well, what what do you know? <laughs> what what are you saying? What don't you like? It was just so. Well, one, we knew it was going to happen halfway through the episode, which I didn't like, and then two. But maybe there's like several million people out there who didn't know. Yeah. And then two, uh, just so anticlimactic. I, I will bet you whatever adults in our relationship can bet that the books will be extremely different from this. Extremely, I, extremely I do extremely. think that they will be. Now, I know that GRM told them the ending and they're following it in some sense. And maybe they mean the ending ending, but I don't know. This they, is... had, they had a lot to play with here that they could make their own. Yeah. So this is one where I'm not sure if Arya kills the Night King or... Uh, in the books, or they just liked that storyline better. Right. And it's always possible that uh, George R. R. Martin has said multiple times that prophecies are tricky things, but apparently Arya is the prince that was promised. She's not Targaryen. She's not ice and fire like Jon is. She's just a Stark, which is cool, but she's the prince that was promised too, I guess. We'll never find out because that's the end of the real war that matters and everything. All yeah. Right. I mean, again, we still have three episodes. Let's see what they explain. Yeah, so I guess... I I mean, I think what's hard here is you might be conflating the books and the show, where the show has not put a lot of time and effort into this, what we're talking about, of, like, the prince that was promised and stuff. Like, there's some with Lady Melisandre and some things, but I think for people who've never read the books, this fits together nicely. And so it it, it could very well be so different in the books, but, but like, they have so much more investment in in some of these other things that... Well, she might kill the Night King in the books, too. I'm not saying that that's not going to happen. I just... uh, I don't know. I did, I did like that John was trying to get there and he couldn't. Yeah. Like, that was, I guess, kind of cool. Well, and it would just be too cliche. Yeah, it would have been expected. And I guess Arya killing him is, is unexpected in some sense, except that I told us it was going to happen. But it's also just an undeserved. I have no emotional attachment to Arya and the conflict with the dead. She didn't even know the dead existed until, like, four episodes ago or whatever. She's never seen him before. There's no... It's like It's like if you watch... Some movie like Predator or something, and Arnold's fighting the Predator. 
And then the predator is actually killed by somebody else that we didn't realize, like that another soldier or something. Like the payoff. I, I don't take it that way. I really don't. I have like a different view on it. At least it explains how she, like all the whole point of her becoming this major assassin, led up to this moment. The same way that Bran says to Theon that everything you've done has led you to here. So all the horrific things that Arya endures and how she gets hardened and trained into be this great warrior is for something like this. And I think the show has done a great job setting that up. And just because she hasn't directly dealt with them, like, Danny's no different in that respect. Well, I didn't think Danny was ever going to kill the Night's King. The only one, though, is Jon. And it gets old of him always winning and... Well, I, I do agree with that. And I guess a better film analogy is, do you remember No Country for Old Men? It's a fantastic movie, except they build up for an hour and a half. Um, who's the guy that plays Thanos? Josh Brolin. For a second, I was like, wrong movie. <laughs> they, they build up for an hour and a half, Josh Brolin versus Antoine Chigar. That's the character's name. And then Josh Brolin is killed off screen by some drug dealers. It's like, they, like they might as well have had Jorah kill the Night King, as far as I'm concerned. Um. No, because it's at, like, so apparently this is where the, the Night King was created. So he dies where he was created. Like, they're being poetic. This is the Stark home. A Stark kills him. John is going to be known as a Targaryen from here on out, not as a Stark, really. Or I, I, I just, again, I think you and I just are, are going to have different viewpoints on this one how she got in there so like the night king has his ultimate warriors that they did they did not show them fight anywhere although in other episodes we see them fighting yeah um so his his little henchmen and all of craster's boys of the white walkers are all behind him and yet Arya sneaks up on him that's just something where like no, you should have shown us a little more there. That was a, a bit dumb. I love that she killed him. I even liked how how he grabbed her. Yeah, I, I will admit for a second there, I was like, oh shit, when he grabbed her. Because I thought she was going to throw a spear through him or something. But then they gave us that scene back in season, whatever, three or four, where they take Craster's baby and the Night's King turns him into a little baby White Walker. That's not in the books, but who cares? What was the point? They might still explain. Yeah, that. they they should have just they could have just left that out and nothing would be different. Maybe it's intrigue to get us to hear it and now. Yeah. I don't know. All right, so Jorah is killed, and I guess that's the big death. Which I gotta say, I like Jorah. I probably like Jorah more than most people, and I was sad to see him go. But that's the big death. Like they, they got to give somebody well, bigger than it, that. Here's the thing. We're going to have big deaths up until the end. I think they're just spacing us out. So some are going to die here, and then some are going to die next episode, and some are going to die next episode. But a lot of these characters that we love aren't going to make it. Yeah, yeah. You said that if the Unsullied and the Dothraki were going to go out a certain way, that's the way that they would want to. Yes, Jorah went out a- This is properly. literally the best death for Jorah. Yeah. It was kind of powerful, I guess. Um I was a bit sad. Yeah, well, I'm sad. I liked Jorah, yeah. I was sad for him, too, and the more of my family, as we already discussed. But even, like, just the devastation on Danny's face, and then, you know, Drogon shows up, and, you know, his tail's between his legs, and he kind of encircles them and puts yeah. his head down like a dog. Like, you know, it, it's it's a touching scene. I think, similar to Theon, it was a great death for him. And yeah. I, I don't know if it would have been... I mean, you made a comment that, like, if there was ever a time for him to show up for her, that... Well, I guess in the pit, too. 
But like that's Jorah for her, is he always finds her and protects her and doesn't. Eventually, it was going to kill her. Oh yeah, he delivered. Yeah, it, it was. It was fine. Great. And yeah, it, it's our big death for for this episode. But there will be more. We're not done yet. So like that, like they might still close up a lot of. You don't. The story you don't feel lines. like the wind has been taken out of the sails at all after this episode. Like, do you really care now if Euron kills Jamie or something? I feel like this is okay. It had to end at some point. Like, the, the existential uh, threat is gone. Like, people we care about might die, but humanity's going to survive. There's there's no... The big threat is gone. It's like... Right, but it was always going to end. There was no way that they were going to be able to outrun them and go all the way to King's Landing and then do a fight there down in King's Landing the way that they set this up. Like, at some point... In, in season eight here, it, it just seemed too obvious that they're they're going to have to have this battle, and then they're going to have to go battle it out with Cersei. No, I thought they were going to lose. Run tail tucked between their legs for. They, she would never allow them into King's Landing. She would kill. No, no, everybody. no. I thought they were going to go to Pike, and then King's Landing was going to have to fight the dead. And then Cersei was going to have to go to Pike 2 or whatever. Something like that. But now, okay, now they're going to fight the Golden Company and John and Danny. Who even cares if she goes bad now? She's, she's not going to go bad. She's like, that story is closed, I think. M- maybe if John will go bad, maybe he wants the Seven Kingdoms. But, like, why does John care who? Eh, I don't know. Because, again, of all this time that has been spent on these things not related to the Night's King and, and his whole threat, I'm interested to see what happens. I'm interested to see how this this plays out. Maybe, like, again, like, I started off with this podcast being like, I feel like I need to think about this. I need to rewatch it again and think about it. Maybe rewatch it a third time and think about it. There's just so much to sink in, and there's just so still so many, there's still opportunity for loose ends to be wrapped up here. Just, if they drew this out much more, I think it would get old. To me, what's old is now watching Petty Politics play at Rear its Head again. But that's what this now, now we get to series see, is about. Now we get to see Braun turn into a bad guy, and we get to see... Eh, we'll see. I'm being too harsh. Maybe it'll turn out great, but... Then our sixth, I guess, big death is Melisandre. I liked her death. Yeah, it was fine, except they'll probably never mention the Lord of Light again, like I said. I hope they don't. We already talked about that. Well, and you kind of said, how does she die? And, and I said, I, I think nothing. I think she'll just... I, I said the Lord of Light doesn't need her anymore. The same way he didn't need Beric. Yeah. And maybe that's why she was saying what she did about Beric of, of like he fulfilled his purpose so now he can die she fulfilled hers so now she can die and she knew this in one thing that gives me hope is that in the post episode discussions I wrote down a couple quotes they're paraphrases but this tells me how different this is going to be from the book the the showrunners D&D said we talked about Jorah's death for a long time trying to figure out how they were going to kill him so they probably have no idea how GRM's going to kill him. Yeah. Which is good. And then they also said... If he does. Right, yeah. If George... Yeah, however it goes down. And then they also say that John killing the Night's King didn't seem right to them. So what does that mean? Did did George R. R. Martin tell them to do it the way they did? I don't think so. I just think that that's the lead up of the storyline up to this point, that it's just going to be John. And and to your point of what you were saying before of like deserving with Arya is that John has encountered him over like the the show has led us to John being the guy here to do it in so many ways. And I think to them, it's like, well, that just it's more of the same. I think honestly, they just know how it ends in very, very loose terms, and they could fill in the blanks the way that they wanted with the way that they've cre- they've cultivated and created and, and nurtured these characters into their own. Well, if he ever finishes the books, and fingers crossed that he does, at least 
at least the next one because I want to see what happens to Stannis. I honestly think but, he's waiting to see fan reaction yeah. to the show. You, you know, after season five, which is the worst season of the show, the way Barristan was taken out and the way Stannis was taken out, I feel like he probably thought a lot about that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. But at least we get a whole nother Game of Thrones adventure when those books come out that I think will offer a lot of things that we will still be unexpected, even though we know how the show's going to end. Yeah. That's pretty much all I got to say about this episode. I just didn't like the illogical parts with the, with the warfare. I think it could have been done better. I think some of it was just for show. And that's often some of my biggest criticisms of anything to do with the show is there's just a little too much fanfare happening sometimes where if you just stick to really good writing and characters and bringing that together, you'll be fine. And and so, like, even though visually some of the stuff with the Dothraki and, and some of that, like, that was hard for me. I agree with the Unsullied piece of them being there and stuff. It, it just, the way that they prepared for this battle, they came off not prepared and, like, they didn't think things through. So season five is when the show deviates from the books because it catches up to where the books are. And I think whoever's writing these episodes, Dan and Dave, have been exposed as shitty writers compared to GRRM. Because the first four seasons are amazing. They're pretty good, yeah. And then the writing just falls so deep in Well, and George R. R. Martin stopped writing. I think he wrote at least one episode a season up until then. Yeah. But he was lagging so far behind of making progress with Winds of Winter that... And, and other things related to the show that he had to take a step back. Yeah. Yeah, so ultimately this episode is just such a mixed bag for me. On the one hand, I appreciate its technical display is truly amazing. And I mean, exciting. the special effects yeah. and, and the filming and things. There's so many things that are just utterly phenomenal. The, the this tension, is better than yeah. some movies we've seen. Oh, yeah. You know, many movies. But then on the flip side, I don't know. I personally am just so disappointed in the story from here on out. Maybe it'll still be exciting, but it just now it just all seems so trivial to me. But it just, it, like, that. to that point, then, it just makes it seem that, like, Tywin was completely inconsequential. And it's like, really? I, like, I, like there were so many aspects of the story that were so great. It means the whole Red Wedding was inconsequential, based on what you're saying. Well, no, because... You have to take a step back and look at the whole forest here, and not just the trees in front of you. I like everything in Westeros, but what made it interesting, as far as this story goes, or, or one of the things, is that we had this whole other huge existential threat. Yeah. And now that that's gone, like, that was the backdrop of this entire story, is that all this squabbling doesn't matter. That's That was, the I thought, the point that they were trying to get across. But, no, nope, we'll just squabble some more. But, again, maybe I'm judging too harsh, so I don't know. I, I'm sorry for any listeners that got their socks blown off by this episode. A brief look on Facebook looks like they did, and I'm over here being a negative Nancy, but it was just, yeah, I already said what I think, so... I'm still on board. I think that they can still entertain me. I'm still interested in the the battle for Westeros here and the resolution of things. Because to me, the Night's King was always going to be defeated. And then what? And and now we get to see that. So I, I'm kind of cool with that because we only have three episodes to see the, the then what. So it's, it's not like a whole season or anything. And I want to see that. Well, I will watch it and we'll talk about it. <laughs> of course you will. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Good night. And that was a double entendre episode, like all the other ones. The long nights. It was a long night. And Kate's fan theory. I only said it because it was out there. It's not mine, and it's not like I was like, I, I didn't really believe it or anything, but uh, Bran is not the Night's King. Wah, wah. <laughs>
Mike's <laughs> king is nobody. Wow. <laughs>